Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. I want to review just a couple things to keep in your mind what mainly the book of Romans is about. It's a very doctrinal book, and it uh, deals with five main themes. Uh, and the, the theme starts out telling us we're sinners before God, uh, and then it tells us salvation is provided by God. We can't earn it. Uh, it's all of God's grace. There's not any way we can work our way uh, to heaven. Uh, and, and then it talks about sanctification. That's the part of Romans that we're in right now. In other words, being set apart before God. Uh, it talks about God being a sovereign God, God being in control. Uh, God is a God, a sovereign God that keeps his word, keeps his promises. And then it closes by talking about service to God. If you'll think about it, all that's a really logical progression because we are, we are sinners. Uh, our only hope is to be saved by grace. Once we're saved by grace, we need to live set-apart lives. Uh, live for him, and that's kind of what the message is about today. Because God is a sovereign God, we ought to serve him. Uh, so the, the, whole, the whole book of Romans just gives us that, that thought one step after the other. Uh, about three weeks ago, I think, we dealt with uh, the first part of Romans chapter 6 and uh, entered into this theme of sanctification. Uh, sanctification, if you remember, has two main aspects to it. The first aspect is a theological aspect or a doctrinal view of uh, sanctification, which simply means this. The moment you receive Christ as your Savior, God sets you apart to himself. So in that instant, instantaneously, the moment you receive Christ, God took you from where you were and he put you in his family. He set you apart to himself. In the Old Testament, there were vessels that were used in the temple or the tabernacle that were set apart to be exclusively used for worship. And that might be the way for us to think of ourselves. The moment we receive Christ as Savior, God exclusively set us apart. And we belong to Him, and we're supposed to serve Him. But there's also a practical aspect of sanctification, and that is not only have we been set apart, we are being set apart to God. He is still molding us. He is still working upon our lives. And as we obediently give over more and more to the uh, control of the Holy Spirit, uh, more and more to what God's Word tells us, then in that process, He is making us more like Jesus. And that's kind of the, the theme of the message today, kind of the part that we're going to uh, look at today. Uh, instead of reading all the verses, we're going to be in, in, in Romans chapter 6, uh, verse 15 through 23. But I'm not going to read all the verses right now. We'll look at those as we go through uh, the message today. I was going to read them all, but I thought my voice may uh, give out. Uh, Paul had uh, raised a question earlier in the first part of uh, Romans chapter 6. And the question that he raised there was more or less this. Well, since, you know, grace superabounds uh, over our sin and glorifies God all the more, then why not sin all the more to give more of an opportunity for God's grace to abound over our sin? And, you know, Paul understood when he talked about us being saved completely by grace and God's grace superabounds over above our sin that some people might come up with this excuse. Well, if that's true, why not sin all the more? I mean, you know, let me just go sin all I want to and that makes God's grace appear to be bigger. 
And he raised that as a question, and he said, absolutely not. That's not the way that we should view it at all. He raises another question here in verse number 15, our first verse today. And he says, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And the reason Paul raises that question, he just had said in verse 14 this, For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under the law but under grace. So human nature, and Paul being inspired by God, God saying, Paul, you need to deal with this because there will be people out there when they're told you are saved under grace that will say, well, I'm not under the law since I'm not under the law now. That means I can live however I want to. I don't have to worry about the Ten Commandments or anything else. I'll live live however I want to live because I'm saved by grace and I know I'm going to heaven. So he raises that question, are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And he answers it really clearly. He says, by no means. It's wrong for us to have the attitude to think because we're not under the law, we can live lawless lives. It's wrong for a Christian to have the attitude of thinking that because you're saved by grace and on your way to heaven, it doesn't matter how you live. Now, you just go ahead and live however you want to live. See, the Bible teaches that we were bought and paid for with a price. Look, look at these verses. Next slide, please. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. What does it say there? You are not what? You're not your own. For you were bought with a price. Why, why are we not our own as believers? Here's why. Jesus did more than just pay for our sins on the cross. He paid for us. He bought us on the cross. We're not our own anymore. So as a result of that, we ought to glorify God in our body. And glorifying God in our body is not having this attitude, I'm going to heaven, so I'll live however I want to live. It doesn't matter anymore. You know, it's okay if I sin because I'm under grace. Later on in the next chapter, he wrote these words. He says, For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he was free when he's called is what? Of Christ. A slave of Christ. That's how we're to view ourselves. We're a slave to Christ because we were bought once again with that price. We're to be a slave to Him, not thinking about being servants to men or sin is really what we're talking about today, but we're to view ourselves as being servants or slaves of Christ. The title of the message today is, is Live a Redeemed Life. Live a Redeemed Life. In other words, you've been redeemed if you know Christ as your Savior. You've been redeemed by faith in Him. You've been redeemed by the shed blood of Jesus. As a result of that, we ought to live like we're redeemed. Now, please don't get things confused. I'm not saying that we're to work our way to heaven. Paul's clearly dealt with that already in Romans. Amen. There's no way we can be saved by works. But because we're saved, we ought to serve Him. We don't earn our way to heaven by serving Him, but because we are saved by grace, we should serve Him, and we ought to live redeemed lives instead of thinking it's okay just to live any old kind of life we want to live after we receive Christ as our, as our Savior. We talk about living a redeemed life. There's kind of three main things I want you to see uh, today as we go through these verses, because Paul more or less takes the rest of the verses we're going to look at and explain why it's wrong for us to think it's okay to live however we want to after we've been, been saved. First thing I want you to notice in verse 16 is this. You are a slave to what you serve. Whatever you bow to, whatever you are serving, in that moment when you do it, you're really a slave to that thing or that 
person or that object that, that you're bound to. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin, and he's kind of using an illustration of, about slavery, a master and a slave, but then he lets us know what he's talking about. Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. He raises this issue. He says there's something you ought to know. You need to understand this. Do you not know? Do you not know it's wrong to think that because you're under grace you can live however you want to? Do you not know it's wrong to have the attitude because you're not under the law? That means you can just ignore God's will for your life and live however you want to live. Because that attitude of practicing sin, even though we're a Christian, leaves out the issue that we were bought and paid for. It leaves out the issue that he is sanctifying us. He wants us to live set-apart lives. He wants us to live in obedience to him. They, he's just simply bringing that before them to say, look, you, you need to know this. Do you not know? And then he goes on, and, and he tells us that we're a slave to what or who we offer ourselves. He says that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you Obey. Now look at some words that he uses here. Uh, he, he uses the word present, which literally means you're kind of offering yourself as a helper or an aid. You know, several words, I, I just put the whole definition up there. But basically what it means, he's saying, you know, whoever you present yourself to, to be a helper or an aid, you become a slave in, in that moment is, is the idea. You're offering yourself to be obedient, to comply, to submit to something or someone. He said, by doing so, you are voluntarily becoming a slave because the word that he uses for slave literally means in the Greek, a voluntary slave. The moment you say, I'm here as your aid, I'm listening to you, I'm volunteering to do what you want me to do, you are being a voluntary slave. And you are saying that you're going to hear under or pay heed or conform to what you're being told. See, the, the issue he raises is this. Je Jesus said this himself. Je Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Now, I understand in the immediate context Jesus said that. He was talking about, like, you know, mammon, money. You know, nobody can serve that and serve God. You're going to love one, hate the other. But that principle applies a lot larger. And, and think about how literal that is. You see, if I, if I come over here and I am bowing to something over here, even though there's something over there I really need to be bound to, but while I'm bowing here, I can't be bound there at the same time, can I? Because I'm one person. I focus my energy bound here. So, so if I as a believer say, well, I'm saved by grace, don't matter what I do, and I'm bound to sin in that moment that I'm bound to sin, then I'm failing to bow to who I need to bow to. Because in that, in that moment, this means that when you offer yourself to sin in that moment, you're a slave to sin. I, let that soak in just for a moment, because I think if you arm yourself, if I'll arm myself, if we'll arm ourselves with this reality, it ought to help us a little bit with temptation. But back in earlier in Romans chapter 6, he said when we're tempted to sin, what we need to do is this. We need to reckon or consider ourselves dead to sin because we were crucified with Jesus. So if when temptation hits me, I tell myself, I can't do it. Here's the main reason why. I don't exist anymore. I died I was crucified with Jesus, and now I'm alive with Jesus in me, so I can't do it. A corpse can't sin. That, that's the mentality that we're to have. 
Well, here's another mentality that we need to arm ourselves with as believers when temptation hits. Uh, go back one slide, please. We need to arm ourselves with a mentality that when temptation hits, we need to think about this. In, in that moment, if, if I bow to that temptation, if I present myself as a helper or an aid voluntarily to bow before that temptation, in that moment, I'm a slave to sin. Guys, I, you know, those of you that know Christ as your Savior, I don't know if that's a title we want to wear, is it? Slaves to sin. You know, that's something we ought to rebel against. So maybe think about that whenever temptation comes your way, instead of just thinking you need to give in to it, have a little bit of a radical mindset. You know, if you, if you want to rebel against something, don't rebel against God. Rebel against sin instead. And say, I, I'm not going to kneel before that. I'm not going to become a, a slave to sin because in the moment you bow that's what you're doing in the moment that you give in to that sin in that instant in that moment of time even though you're saved by grace on your way to heaven even as a believer in that moment in time when you bow to that sin you become a slave to it for that moment likewise next slide likewise if we'll offer ourselves obediently to serve God if we'll say God here I am I'm presenting myself I'm a helper I'm an aid I'm here voluntarily as your servant, as your slave, to hear under, to listen to what your will is for my life. If we will do that instead, we will be slaves to righteousness instead of being slaves to sin. He said, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, but then he also says, or of obedience later. That's the viewpoint, the mentality that, that we need to have. We need to understand, even though we're saved by grace, if you're a Christian, and on your way to heaven, in the moment that you bow to sin, it's like you have put yourself before sin as being a slave to sin. And you see, the reason we need to be concerned about this is two really serious results that happen. Paul wrote that one leads to death and one leads to righteousness. If we're over here bowing to, to sin, all sin does is lead to death. And some of them I say, but, but preacher, you say I'm saved by God's grace and, and I can never face spiritual eternal death. That's true, but you can face physical death. And if you'll park that in your mind for a moment, I'll come back to it at the end, near the end of the message. Because you're saved by grace don't mean that you cannot ruin your life and end your life by chasing after sin. One of the results of being a servant or slave to sin is death. For the lost person, it's eternal death because they keep chasing after sin and never ever bow to Jesus. For a Christian, it can actually lead to physical death in our lives. Or you can bow to God and let it lead to righteousness. The guys, don't know about you. I think I'd rather bow to righteousness. I've used an illustration similar to this before more than than once, I think. But honest, if we were to dismiss you guys and you go outside and we've got two booths set up outside and one booth says, come to this table and we will kill you, death, or come to this table and there's righteousness, which line are you going to get in? I don't think any of you is going to go out there unless you had a really, really, really bad week this week and you think, I'll end it all. That you're going to go jump in the line that says you're going to die because you're in this line. We're going to have the desire to be in the line that represents righteousness. So as a Christian, instead of getting in line and bowing to sin, we need to bow to Him. We need to serve Him. We need to be His slaves, not slaves to sin. And by doing so, we're, we're bowing before Him and serving 
righteousness. Second main thing I want you to get this morning is this. You've been set free to serve righteousness. It's not just about you're redeemed and going to heaven one day. Jesus did not die on the cross and set you free for you just to ruin your life and live however you want to live. Christians have been set free to serve Him or to serve righteousness. Look at, look at verse 17 through 19. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. And then he says, I'm speaking in human terms. In other words, I'm using a human illustration. Because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. I want you to notice three things in those, in those verses. First one is this. If you're a Christian, you've got something to be thankful for. You have something to be thankful for. And that thanksgiving ought to come across with us wanting to live redeemed lives. See, us being thankful for God's grace and mercy and Him saving us ought to go deeper than saying, Thank you, Jesus, now I'm going to go live for myself. Look at what he says. But thanks be to God that you who were once, what's the tense of that? Past. That's who you used to be. You who were once slaves of sin. And then later on, verse 18, he says, having been set free from sin. Think about what Jesus has saved us from. Think about the reality of the Bible. I mean, we don't like to talk a lot about this, but the Bible says there is a real hell. The Bible says there is a real eternal separation from God. There's a real place of eternal punishment. And it's through the grace of God is through Him sending His Son to die for our sins and our faith in Him that we can be set free from that and we can be redeemed. And that's something we ought to be thankful for. And I'm just saying our thanksgiving ought to run deeper than saying, thank you, God, I'll live however I want to live. Our thanksgiving ought to be communicated in us living redeemed lives and us bowing before Him instead of bowing before sin. We, we need to be thankful for what He's done for us. Secondly, I, I want you to notice also there's, there's something in those verses to be transformed by. To be transformed by. He said that you were once slaves of sin, but now you've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching. That refers to the gospel. You become obedient to the gospel message to which you were committed. But Paul's saying you've heard the gospel, you've believed the gospel the gospel ought to transform your life. The Bible says we become new, create, new creatures, new creations in Him. And, and, and you see, this, this Bible is it's, it's more than, guys, it ought to be more to us than just saying, all right, I know Jesus died for me. I'm on my way to heaven. I believe that part of it. But I'm going to live however I want to live, make my own choices, go along with the flow of culture. It doesn't matter, you know, what, what God thinks. I know I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven. So, so now I'm just going to live however I want to. You see, that misses the point. The point is this is supposed to transform us. This is supposed to change our lives. We, we've been set free to serve 
righteousness. We've been set free to be obedient to God's will. How do you know what that is without this? Without spending time in it and being obedient to it. Paul also wrote this to Timothy. All hesitate. Scripture. The reason I hesitated is this. I wanted you to let all sink in just for a moment. Because it's not part of it. It's not the part you like and the part you don't like. All. All Scripture is breathed out or inspired by God. And it's profitable. In other words, we're to use it for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God or the person of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Jesus saved us not to leave us to ourselves. He saved us to transform our lives where we can live for Him, to live redeemed lives for Him. And there's also something here to be challenged by. To be challenged by. This, for me, gets really serious. (laughs) When I read these words... Because he says, having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. That's who we're supposed to be now. Serving God, serving righteousness. And he gives this illustration, like I said a moment ago. He's speaking in human terms. And he said, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity. As lawlessness that led to more lawlessness. In other words, sin that led to more sin. As you once surrendered your life like that, so now, as a Christian, present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Now, let me simplify that for you. You know what Paul really just said? He said, to the degree that you serve sin, you ought to at least be as enthusiastic in serving Jesus as you used to be enthusiastic in serving sin. Now, if that doesn't bother you, you might have lived a better life than me, or you might be lying to yourself. Because that bothers me, because you see, I I, I get this picture of uh, some scales and balances here, and over on this side is everything that I've ever done that was wrong, everything that I ever did that was against God, everything that I ever did in my life to serve sin. And I'm told to the degree that I did that, I'm now supposed to surrender myself to serve Him. And that bothers me because I, you see, some of you are probably thinking, well, preacher, what does it bother you for? You're a preacher. Well, you know, that don't matter. <laughs> I'm a human being. I wasn't called in the ministry until I was 28 years old. There's a lot of water under the bridge before I was 28. And I knew Christ as my Savior before that, but, you know, that's no guarantee that you don't make wrong choices and do wrong things. Matter of fact, if I were to stand up here today and detail out to you all the things, and see, I'm old now, I can't even remember some of them, but all the things that I can remember that I did, that I bowed before sin and I served sin, if I started detailing that out to you, some of you probably think, I don't want to listen to him. You know, the Apostle Paul was pretty messed up too. Honestly, will you think about that for a moment? 
Warren Wearsby, I'm probably dating myself because he doesn't put out a lot of stuff anymore, but Warren Wearsby was a really well-known Bible teacher. He used to pastor in Moody Church uh, in Chicago. He wrote the, the famous B-series, uh, you know, going through the New Testament. He had a friend that became a Christian one time, and his friend looked at Warren and said this, I want to be as good of a saint as I was a sinner. Now, you stop for a minute and, and reflect upon that. I mean, I, honestly, I think I ought to be quite a second. Will you evaluate your own life in those terms? Will you think about all the times you bowed to sin and that you're a slave to sin? And now think about that Paul says, now, in the same way, surrender yourself to serve righteousness. Surrender yourself to serve Him. Do you get the same feeling out of that that I did when I studied it this week? I did a lot of stuff bound before sin. Paul now tells me I need to serve righteousness at least to the same degree that I served sin. You see, the point of it is us just not knowing that we need to do it. The point is, what are you doing about it? What am I doing about it? I mean, are you doing something to make it happen? It's, it's one thing for us to understand. Paul said, all right, you used to serve sin and, and now serve God to the amount that you used to serve sin. But, but what are we doing about it? More than just a doctrinal truth you need to cram in your mind. You see, you, you, you were actively doing some things over here when you were serving sin. That took some action to do it. Guess what? It's going to take some action and some activity in our lives. To serve Him like we ought to. And it's not about offsetting for our salvation. Our salvation is completely tied up in Jesus Christ. You understand that His finished work on the cross. That's how we're saved. But He's saying now because we... we does that not bother you? The time you wasted? The, the, the time you vowed to sin? It, it seemed like it bothers me all the more because, as I mentioned a moment ago, I mean, I'll, I'll be 57 in February. Over half of my life gone. Um, unless I've got my mama's genes in me. My mom's 93. I think she's going to live forever. But if I reflect upon that, I'm telling you, it bothers me. Because I need to be using my life to serve Him with the same energy that I used it for sin. Paul said this back in Romans chapter 6 that we saw three weeks ago. Do not present your members to sin as instruments. I told you then the word means weapons or tools. Don't present yourself as a weapon or a tool for unrighteousness. But instead present yourselves to God as those who haven't been brought from death to life. And your members, the actually members of your body as God's instruments or God's tools or God's weapons for righteousness. 
We, we weren't saved to live for ourselves. We have been saved to serve righteousness. We have been saved to be slaves of Jesus, not slaves of sin. And we need to present ourselves as tools or weapons or instruments for His use, for His glory. That's what He saved us for. He saved us to serve righteousness, not to live however we want to live. Third thing I want you to get this morning is this. Living a redeemed life is a fruitful life. Now, to be honest with you, all of us bear some kind of fruit. All of us have fruitful lives. But some of the fruit's bad. And it's not the kind of fruit we'd like to have brought about. Verse 20 through 23, Paul says this. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Can I park that in your brain? I'll deal with that in a moment too. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and the word that he uses for fruit in the Greek literally means to pluck something. I, I grew up in a region of, of Wilkes County where there's a lot of apple orchards. And late in the summer, I would always see this harvest taking place. And there's the apple houses over there and everything like that. And, you know, you, you go buy those apples because, I'll be honest with you, they're better than the ones you get in the store, you know. So recently we've been doing that some because those apples are now available. And, and someone went and they plucked those apples off the tree and they harvested those apples. And, you know, I can go buy those types of apples now and enjoy them because they're really good. But what is it that people are plucking out of your life? What kind of fruit are people, can, can people around you pluck from your life? What kind of fruit does God see from your life is, is it is it good fruit is it like the good apples i'm talking about that you know you really you know you really want to eat it or or maybe you have fruit in your life that someone takes a bite of it and they want to spit it out see living living a redeemed life living the life that god wants us to as christians we, we ought to be bearing the fruit that he wants us to bear we, we need to be bearing good fruit. We need to be bearing fruit that leads to sanctification and, and instead of fruit that, that, that leads to death. Get a couple of things right there in those verses. First one is this. Before you trusted in Christ, you were free from practice and righteousness. But what was the fruit that you got? Now, I told you to park that in your mind a moment ago because I want to run a little bit of a side rabbit for a second and tell you something that we're really guilty of as Christians and as the church, sometimes in our culture, that we need to avoid like the plague because when we're guilty of this, it makes us look like to the culture around us that we're being, you know, good little goody two-shoes and we're putting them down. It says when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You want to know why that's true? Because you couldn't do anything righteous. When you were still in your sin, when you were a slave to sin and you belonged to sin. Now someone's going to push back and say, oh, but, but lost people 
People that commit sin in their life that lost never come to Jesus, they, they can do good stuff. They can do righteous things. The Bible says all of our righteousness is plural, is like a filthy rag before God. People lost in sin cannot do one thing that's righteous before God. And the only way you and I have any righteousness in our lives is because of Jesus and what Jesus does through and in our lives. So here's the, the side thought I want to give you. We need to be very careful as a church and as Christians to hold in a lost world to the same standards of living that we think we're supposed to have because of the Bible. You want to know why? They can't do it. They can't live it. And, and we come up as a church and as Christians, this culture to look down and browbeat them and everything else, saying you know, how bad they are, you ought to be like this. They can't be without Jesus. What we need to do is get Jesus to them, not stand around and condemn them all the time and put them down because they, they can't serve righteousness anyway. But let's apply to us for a moment. That's the side message. Before you trusted in Christ, you were free from practicing righteousness because we couldn't do it. But what was the fruit of it? What do you get out of practicing unrighteousness? What do you get out of bowing to sin? First of all, you get shame. He said, the things of which you are now ashamed. I told you I could detail out a lot of stuff that would probably make you not even want to listen to me again. But I'm not proud of those things. They bring shame to me when I think about them. You ever experience shame over your choices? Shame over your past life? That's the fruit of of serving unrighteousness. That's the fruit of bowing to sin. It's, it's like shame. I, I've got the whole word there, but what it really means is this. It's like shame is imposed upon you, and because shame is pressed down upon you, you feel disgraced and destroyed and disfigured. And that's what you get out of bowing to sin. And you also get this. You get death. The end of those things is death. He said the end of bowing to sin is death. That's where it leads I'll come back to that in a minute. I told you to park it in your mind. Think about it again. Park it in your mind. I'll come back to it in a second as we talk about death. Second thing I want you to see, main thing about fruit is this. But now as a Christian, if you've received Christ as your Savior, you're set free from practicing sin. Now there is an expectation. Now there is an obligation for you to live a righteous life. There wasn't before. But now that you know Christ is your Savior, you've been set free from practicing sin. Sin does not have to rule and reign in your life. And instead, you become a slave of God. And look at the fruit that comes from being a slave of God. He said, now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and to its end, eternal life. Two fruit. First one, sanctification. By us bowing to Him instead of bowing to sin. In the practical part of sanctification, He's making us more and more and more and more like Jesus. He's setting us aside more and more and more to Himself when we bow to Him instead of bowing to sin. And the fruit of it also is this. The fruit of it is eternal life. How long is that? Well, the word itself means this. Perpetual life. Perpetual life. I think sometimes 
as believers, we take this mindset. I'm saved by grace. I've got eternal life when I get to heaven one day. And we park all of it over there. But that's not what perpetual life means. Perpetual life means you have it now. You have it tomorrow. You have it the next day. You have it for all eternity. Yes, you have it in heaven. But don't park it all over there. We need to be practicing eternal life now. Experiencing eternal life now. Living redeemed lives now. And then he gives us some reasons. I think to live a redeemed life in, in verse 23, and then I'll close. He says, the wages of sin is death. I told you I'd come back to that. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's two huge reasons, I think, for you and I as Christians to live redeemed lives. Number one, he gives us a warning. The warning is this. The wages of sin is death. Now, everyone that's ever been taught how to use Romans Road in sharing the gospel with someone, we all the time use that, don't we? If you stay in your sin, the only thing you get out of staying in your sin, the only thing you get out of it, the only wage you get is death, spiritual death. And the only way to avoid that is receive the gift of God through Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. Now, all that's true. I'm not minimizing it at all. All that's true. There's something we leave out of this verse that I think definitely is in this verse because of the context of everything that he's just said. This verse is not just for lost people to use trying to win them to Jesus. He's writing to people who already knew Christ as their Savior. He's writing about sanctification. He's writing about us bowing to Jesus, bowing to righteousness instead of bowing to sin. The warning is this. If you and I, even though we're saved by God's grace, if you and I continue and continue and continue to practice sin, if we bow at the wrong place instead of bowing to God, it can lead even to our physical death. The word for wages is a word that was used in a soldier being paid his rations. In other words, dried fish or, you know, some soup or whatever it is they're giving him. That's what he earned, and that's what he's given the only thing we earn by practicing sin is death. But pastor, pastor, I'm saved. Pastor, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. I'm not talking about eternal death. That's true for a lost person. We're applying this to Christians right now. See, a Christian can sin to the degree that God decides it's time to take you out of this world. First John says there's a sin unto death. You want an illustration of that? Remember a dude in the Old Testament by the name of Samson? He was one of God's judges. He knew God, knew about God, been taught about God, but he kept, you know, chasing sin and chasing skirts and everything else, getting in trouble and trouble and trouble and trouble, till finally he gets his eyes gouged out and he's in a temple of a heathen God being made a sport of. And what he ultimately does is pull the temple down upon himself and everybody else and kills himself and everyone else there. 
In Samson's life, the practice of sin eventually led to his physical death. And I'm just giving you a warning, a reason why just maybe we ought to live redeemed lives is this. If you continue to rebel and rebel and rebel and rebel against God, there's a possibility. I'm not telling you there's a timeline on your life that I know. He does. But I think we can shorten our lives and bring judgment upon ourselves, even as Christians, to where he takes us out of this world. You want another illustration of it? The Lord's Supper. They were ignoring the principles of the Lord's Supper and not practicing in the way that they should. So Paul writes this, For this reason many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. They weren't home taking a nap. The word he used there means they had died because they were not honoring God's body. They were not taking the Lord's Supper as they should. So there's a warning for you. We ought to live redeemed lives because failing to do so could cost us death. There's a second reason why we ought to live a redeemed life, and that's worship. He says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you see that? The gift of God. God freely as a gratuity. God freely as a gift. God freely as a favor. God God freely pardons. God freely rescues. Not because you deserved it. Not because you earned it. God as a free gift. Wants to give you eternal life. Perpetual eternal life in Instrumentality in denote it denotes a in the Greek it denotes a fixed position. In other words, the only way the only way it happens is through Jesus. The only way anyone is forgiven and has a redeemed life and has eternal life is as a free gift in Jesus Christ. Now, I know the word worship isn't there. But I think the intent is, why should you and I live a redeemed life? Because of what He's done for me, because of what He's done for you. If you know Christ as a Savior, we ought to live redeemed lives as acts of worship to Him. Because as a free gift, He saved us. As a free gift, He's called us to Himself. He set us free to where we'll quit. We don't have to come over here and bow to sin. Instead, we need to bow to Him. That's part of what sanctification is. That's our main theme. That's what we're talking about in this part of Romans, sanctification. If you know Christ is your Savior, you have been sanctified. He set you apart. But also, there's another part of sanctification where you are being sanctified. He is setting you apart more and more to Himself as we bow to Him instead of bowing to sin. Let's pray. Father, God, I pray right now that you'd speak to anyone here that may not know Christ as their Savior. Help them to see the only thing that they can ever get out of rejecting Jesus is eternal death. And help them to see the only way they can ever receive eternal life is as a free gift that you provide by sending your Son to die on the cross for our sins. 
that you by your grace extend to us as a free gift when we believe in Jesus. Father, if there's someone here today that's in danger of that eternal spiritual death, separation for all time from you, God, show them right now their only hope, their only chance is salvation as a free gift. Father, for those of us that already know Christ as Savior, God, I pray that you would speak to us today. God, that you'd help us to see that in the moment that we bow to sin, we're being a servant or a slave to sin. Father, I pray that you help us to understand that you've set us free not to live life for ourselves or however we want to live, but you've set us free to serve you and to serve righteousness. Father, I pray you help those of us that know Christ as our Savior to live redeemed lives, to live fruitful lives that honor you and that benefit others around us. If we ask these things in Christ's name, Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.